Well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. What's going on over there in Kentucky land today? Eh, nothing new. Just got a just got a little afternoon workout in and back in the office. Uh, I'm gonna start some sermon prep here a little later this afternoon, but just and looking forward. This is this is a Monday afternoon for those listening. This is the routine for us is we release an episode Monday morning. The afternoon we we come in and we record the next one. So here we are on a Monday afternoon, uh, recording next week's episode. So what's what's happening down in Texas? Oh man, you you would think a uh, twenty uh, first century dust bowl is creeping into North Richland Hills. Man, I'm working on a theology paper right now, and my wife Lindsay is uploading videos for her fifth grade students. And because of the wind, nothing is working. So I'm praying, if the Lord wills, we can make it through this episode with no issues, okay. internet wise. Okay, well, we're leaning on God's providence here. So, what what are we, what are we talking about today? I'm I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to these this next series of conversations. But which which one are we leaning into today? Yeah, today's episode thirty nine: redeeming the time with the Apostle Paul and Jonathan Edwards. Little character study here. I'm going right. to kick it back to you real quick. Um, that way, you can. Uh, set the tone and, and and maybe set something straight here that we are not doing this episode um, to elevate these men above Christ and yeah. the gospel and, you know, the glory of God and whatnot. But you, you speak on why we're going to talk about these guys and, and how that fits into um, not pressing or pushing Jesus to the side, right. um, but really just highlighting these guys. No, that, I think that's a good word um, to begin with that because when you hear that title or when you think like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna look at Paul and Jonathan Edwards and try to uh, model the Christian life after these guys," and think, "Well, where, where's Christ in this?" Well, uh, the first thing I think of is First Corinthians eleven one when Paul says, "Follow me as I follow the example of Christ." And these men have just gone before us. Um, I actually preached a sermon uh, yesterday talking about a case for expository preaching. And in that sermon, I looked at church history. We've talked a little bit about church history and um, the value of church history. And just thinking about, um, I actually read another sermon from a pastor who said that, uh, talking about church history, that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us in the church. And so when we look at these men and look at their examples, uh, that's all they are. They're just examples of people, of men who are following Christ. And so uh, we're going to uh, ask a lot of questions. We're going to try to have this conversation, especially in light of COVID-19. That's kind of brought this to the surface uh, for a lot of us. But um, this question is really rooted in understanding what Scripture has to say. And these two guys in particular, we're going to look at maybe some aspects of their lives and how practically it's played out for them. So it's not, uh, this is not uh, idolatrous. Uh, let's worship these guys and say, hey, these are, this is, um, the example we must follow. And it's not a legalistic, like if you don't hold to these, uh, to their lifestyle, then you failed. Like that's not what we're trying to do. We're simply looking at men who have gone before us. Uh, one of whom was an apostle and wrote most of the, much of the new Testament and what he has to say, um, in those inspired writings will help inform us in this. But, um, really it's just finding, uh, looking at those examples, but ultimately pointing back to Christ, um, with that example. So what, what would you add to that? Yeah, I think I would add two things. One, I would add, I think that the New Testament gives us a pattern of looking back at people that have gone uh, before us. And in terms of the New Hebrews Testament, 11. looking Hebrews chapter 11, absolutely, absolutely. You've got a list of names there of people that are highlighted for their faith. Um, and then secondly, I would add, if you read the uh, letters to the Thessalonians from Paul, you know, he highlights that church as a church that would be worthy of imitating. You know, they were a healthy, sound church. It says that, uh, you know, that their church and their beliefs and their practice had really sounded forth um, in, in the ancient world. So I think there are even yeah. biblical models um, 
And I, I think that you could put together a biblical argument for looking at church history and people in the past. Yeah, and I, I would just just to kind of summarize that or kind of wrap that that discussion up is that these men are, and when we look at these men, what we're doing is we are first going to look at what the Bible says, but then we're going to turn and say, okay, now how does that play out? Of how does it? What does that look like in the life of someone who's actually attempting to do this um, in their time, in their culture, raising a family? Um, pastoring a church, whatever that might look like, serving on the mission field. How do I actually practically do this? And that's why I think there's some value uh, because scripture um, isn't written in order to give us a how-to guide for how to live, right? Like it's, this is the inspired text to reveal who Christ is and to reveal God himself and God has chosen to reveal what he's chosen to reveal. Uh, And then there's, there's charity and how we might understand the rest of it. So that's really what we're aiming to do. So um, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good place to start when we have this discussion. Yeah. And remember three components of the reformed and reformed informants podcast biblical exposition, systematic theology, and, and practical application. So we are looking at some theology uh, intertwined in this episode, but I would say that really this is probably one of the more practical episodes. And not just because of COVID-19 and related circumstances, but this is really the truths that we're going to discuss are, are timeless, generational. Mm-hmm. They, they go beyond our zip codes, they go beyond, uh, our, our state. Um, this is literally practical for anybody, anybody that's in Christ. But this is especially, I think height, we're heightened in our awareness of this particular issue because of what's happened with COVID-19, right? Like so many people are learning what's essential, what's not. Um, you know, I've had this conversation, I had this conversation with Chloe yesterday. I said, you know, most people, their lives have slowed down a lot. Um, our lives haven't. My life has been as hectic as it's ever been. Uh, just, but I'm one of the few people who was in the middle of a move and a job transition, and and the nature of this situation has increased my workload um, in the short term. Uh, but a lot of people are learning what's essential, what's not. A lot of people have a lot more free time, and we're asking people are asking these questions. And so I think it's there are certain seasons and times when this conversation is especially pertinent. And I think that that's one of them for us right now. And so that's maybe what has prompted us to have this conversation. But I think you're right that five years from now, when everything is hustling and bustling like before, everything that we say today should hopefully be applicable even at that point. So that's that, that's a good reminder too. So the Apostle Paul and Jonathan Edwards, and specifically about their lives, we're going to look at how they redeemed the time. Look, there's many aspects, many elements, uh, many components of the way that they live that we could look into, dissect, learn from. But our emphasis in this episode is on uh, redeeming the time. So I'm going to throw out a little bit of a challenge here as uh, we get rolling through the material. But let me ask you, what can you cut out from your life? Well, what are some things that you and I can remove from our life that doesn't have any profitability? Are there certain habits that we should reassess and be willing uh, to drop? Are there certain parts or aspects of our daily routines uh, that we could change? Are there certain activities uh that we do that really don't matter and are unnecessary. And uh, I I think one of the biggest questions that that we could ask ourselves, what are we willing to say no to? What are we willing to say no to? So those are just some general questions to kind of get your mind stirring. I know as I'm going through those and was prepping for uh, this episode that I immediately began assessing areas in my life that I, I, I may need to change or tweak or disregard um, in terms of opening up more time for eternal things, things that provide uh, spiritual nourishment. Um, yeah, so more could be added. T, what do you got to say on that? No, man, I think that's so good. Listen, to you ask those questions? Um, I hope if, if, as you're listening that 
because um, I was, I'm listening to you, I'm reading off the guide here, but I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm asking those questions to myself. Um, you know, what can I cut for my life? What, what maybe would I be willing to change in order to salvage or redeem some time? And, and what am I willing to say no to? And I love how you've kind of flipped this. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I love how you flip kind of the other side of it to say, as we think about our time and saying, uh, it, what can we cut out maybe deeper, more to the heart questions, like, how much of Christ do you want? How much of God do you aspire to know? Um, how much filling of the Spirit do you do you desire? How sweet is God's Word to you? How much do you desire to to grow in in knowledge? Um, how much um, are you willing uh, to sacrifice in order to grow in sanctification? Uh, do you want to win the battle against sin? Um, how are you working to be the best disciple of Christ that you can be? Like these are questions that we all need to ask ourselves, and it's um, all framed around this idea, this concept of redeeming the time, and um, and salvaging and and um, working towards uh, not working in the sense of works based salvation or anything of that sort, but um, <clears throat> but rather sanctifying and making the best use of the time that we do have in order to accomplish that, which we've been called to do and that right. is to be conformed to the image of the sun. Yeah, that's good. Well, but before we get to the uh, historical argument, we always start with the biblical argument, the biblical argument, because that's primary um, in anything that we do um, in life, but specifically for the podcast, that, that's yeah, how but, we're going to begin all of our episodes with the biblical yeah. argument. Let me, let me make a quick comment before you do that, because I, I want you to take us through it. But I do hope that as uh, you know, if you've been with us from the beginning and we're on episode, what, 30, 39 of our full length episodes, we're in season two. We've been making a routine of this and maybe you're new, but hopefully you've gone and listened to chunks of, of our, our episodes and uh, what we've discussed. But I hope that you've come to expect that, that every single time we discuss a topic, that's where we're going to go. I mean, you mentioned it already we're a podcast devoted to biblical exposition and systematic theology, along with that practical application. But the Bible is going to inform the practical application. You are practically applying what the Bible says, and so we're build we've we've built some theology uh, related to this. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what the Bible says and then allow it to inform our application. So I just want to make that comment that um, you you mentioned it. Um, I, I know a lot of times it's assumed, but it should always be the default. If you're going to have this conversation, what does Scripture say on the subject? How do you organize those thoughts? And then based on the organization of those uh, concepts and verses and passages and text, then you can start to formulate an answer to that question. So that's what we're going to do. And then in, once we've done that, then we can look at um, the examples of, of Paul and Jonathan Edwards and others. So, Yeah, that's good. Okay. Underneath the biblical argument, we've got, we have a limited number of days on this earth. We have a limited number of days on this earth. I don't know about you, TJ, but man, that is uh, humbling, sobering, all of the above to yeah. know that our time here is limited. We can build that case off scripture because there are multiple scriptures um, that outline this, that detail this, that make this point crystal clear. Um, Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. You have set that he cannot pass. Who's the you that Job is talking about there? Yahweh. Yeah, that's right. That is our God. Right. He has set limits that man cannot pass. Just to make that practically more, a little more practical, I can't outlive what God has already determined for me. There is nothing that I can do. I have no capacity to go beyond what He has allowed me to live. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter three verse two. Solomon says, there is a time to be born and a time to die. Back there in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he basically runs through a series of, uh, I think they're called Marists, where he's basically comparing back and forth the seasons of life. And there is a time to be born. And 
we've experienced that with our own kids in the last year, but there's a time to die also. So it's, it's a biblical reality. Uh, We have to understand death from a biblical perspective. I mean, we could go, there's so many passages that uh, reference this Psalm 90 verse 10 as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or due to strength, 80 years. The point being there's a limit. Um, There's no getting around the, the reality that, those the number of years that you live is finite. Um, Acts seventeen twenty six uh, says that he made God, he being their God, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And you know, as you were talking about this earlier, I I thought you know we we did a uh, an episode on the divine decree and we talked about God's decrees and what He is set in motion, how everything that has happened has come from his hand. And as we understand history unfolding in this way, that's what helps us understand. Like, look, God has already determined. There is no, there's no way that I can alter what God has set in motion with his divine decree. And he has already stated um, in that eternal decree that all of us will die and that there's coming a day when the clock is going to, it's going to, our time's running out, um, and the clock's going to end for us. And uh, and I don't know when that'll be. That could be on my way home. It could be in the middle of this sentence. Uh, but that number is fixed, and it is finite. And so that's just a biblical reality that our days are limited. And um, it, it's really interesting in, in pastoral ministry, um, and I've, I know you've experienced this um, as well in your role, but as you talk to people, um, who are at that stage, right? Like when when the cancer hits, um, when when old age has has taken over and the body begins to break down, like people begin to recognize and understand this reality. But most of the time, we live as if this is not the case. It's just amazing to me how how we how prone we are to forget this reality that our days are limited, and and we just have to establish that from the get go. Yeah, like uh, the Psalm 90 reference uh, th- that you read just a, just a moment ago, talking about life containing 70 years or possibly 80 years. You know, some would argue that that is uh, a text that basically speaks of the average of uh, humanity or individualistic um, persons. Uh, lifespan, sometime between 70 and 80 years. Even if you look at uh, the averages here in the United States, I think men live on average in the United States into their early 70s and women to to their late 70s. So if you were to take those averages and take Psalm 90, and maybe you take that at face value, uh, believing that that's what it's saying, and you subtract your age from one of those averages, you know, that that really puts into perspective on on average how much time mm-hmm. you have left. Now of course, you know, it could be next week or it could be, you know, decades beyond what Psalm 90 says is average. But the truth is as you stated that we are going to die. Our our days are numbered. Yeah. Um yeah. Now I've mentioned before on the podcast, um, especially since we've been back here with season two, that in the college ministry uh, that I'm serving in at Countryside, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. So I purchased a few commentaries on Ecclesiastes to help get through that text because it's not the easiest. Um, But I bought a book by David Gibson called Living Life Backwards. And I think it falls under the category of a commentary. It's more under Christian living is probably where I would place it. But David Gibson says, preparing to die and to die well does not mean drawing the curtains and dressing in black and thinking morbid thoughts. Instead, preparing to die means thinking about how to live. Mm. So I don't want to start off this episode, you know, like, oh man, draw the curtains, you know, we're all dying, you know, this is absolutely terrible. No, the book of Ecclesiastes, and Gibson makes note of that, is teaching us that we need to live in a manner that has death in view, so that will help us live to the max or live to the fullest. Yeah, that's, 
I love that quote. When I read through that, I thought that is the exact right approach um, to understanding the reality of death. It's not that once death comes knocking or once it's like at the doorstep, we go, okay, yeah, I guess it's time. No, like this is preparing to die and to die well. I love that aspect because look, death is coming. And so the best way to be prepared for that is to live and to live in in proper perspective of that reality, but while at the same time understanding we have responsibilities and things to do before that time comes. And so, uh, so I think that leads us really into how to, what we want to focus on with this episode. And that is, um, the main thrust of living with the reality of death in view is that we must redeem the time that we have been given. Now we don't know how much time that is, which I think adds to the urgency factor, um, you know, if, if I knew how much time I had, I might be prone to think, ah, well, down the road, I'll deal with that. But the end of the road might be much sooner than I realize. And so there's a concept here of redeeming our time. And that that emphasis comes um, from Ephesians chapter five. Uh, I, I, I love uh, this passage, and I think it directly speaks to what we're talking about here. Ephesians chapter five, uh, verses 15 and 16, um, Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Um, now that, that phrase, do you want to, what, what would you, what would you tell us? Or, or you know, if you want to add any comments about that, that word that is translated from the Greek into making uh, the most of your time, you're, you're a Greek scholar now. What do you, yeah. what do you, what do you, what do you got on that? <laughs> Yeah, Greek scholar here working through Greek too with the final here in about yeah, a, a fresh, week after man. we record this episode. No, I, I just think there's a couple things that we want to highlight from Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. First off, that making use of your time is wise. Mm. So, which implies not making use of your time is unwise. Right. Um, and so I, then, I would even argue, not to cut you out there, I would even argue based on that, you could say sinful. And and I think we're going to make the case for that here shortly. But talking about the making use of your time, it's not a preference thing. This is biblical wisdom, um, and it's there's biblical warrant here. Like Paul says, therefore, which we don't have time to analyze the rest of Ephesians 5, but what he's speaking of there, um, when he says therefore, he's saying, in light of what I have just said, the urgency factor— be careful. Pay attention to how you walk, to how you live, to how you, the the manner in which you live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. And what he's saying there, there's an urgency, there's an emphasis there. I think that's great that you've drawn that out. This is wisdom, um, but to to foolishly ignore wise counsel and biblical counsel in this case would be sinful. So, well, this comes off the heels of. Uh... The, the first couple of verses of Ephesians 5, and we're supposed to be imitators of God. Right. Is God, you know, wasting time? I, I can't picture God, the triune God, you know, relaxed, kicking back, and just totally, you know, blowing off time like it's just no big deal. Right. And not using it with a purpose. Um, so, yeah, there in verse 16, making the most of your time, uh, I think that's the NAS translation, but it also shows up in other English translations as making the most, making the best, and it even shows up um, in some English translations as redeeming, redeeming the time, and that's really why we went with the title of the episode, Redeeming the Time, because uh, there's a there's a picture, there's an illustration um, that comes with what this Greek word means. Uh, it can be defined as a payment of a price to recover something, also known as a ransom, or it could or it also means uh, to buy up or to purchase. Uh, that same word here is used in Galatians 3.13, where it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Okay, so this idea of making the most of that there's a, uh, a redemption aspect, a redemption component uh, to this word. And I think it is worth us highlighting the parallel uh, with this term in relation to Christ and the gospel and redemption and those things. So I'm going to kick it back your way. 
and let you go with this here for a minute. Yeah, I mean that. I, I mean, you did a really good job of unpacking that and helping us see the connection there between um, time and us as sinners, because that same concept, that same word to buy up or to purchase, um, it can even one one lexicon that I have on my desk here talks about um, this word can mean to rescue from loss or misapplication. And so the in the sense of us as sinners, we are being rescued uh, from what the the damage and, and the um, repercussions of sin. Like we have the wrath of God being poured out upon us, but we're being rescued, we're being purchased, we're being redeemed, we're being pulled out of that uh, and placed in something that is edifying and good. And so we're, we're pulled away from the wrath of God and we are placed instead um, under the righteousness of Christ. And so we've been redeemed and repurposed, you would say, right? Like, yeah. so primarily or, or previously we were, we were in a, a state of loss, but we've been redeemed and pulled out of that, but repurposed. There's, there's, there's a, a positive aspect of this. It's not just, Hey, you're not, you're no longer under the wrath of God, but that the sinner is now given the righteousness of Christ. And so there's a new purpose. There's a new mission. There's a new uh, goal for us as, as those who have been redeemed, we've been purchased. Um, and, and so in the same way for time, um, when when Paul tells us to redeem our time, what he's he's saying is rescue that time from misappropriation, misapplication, and instead, as we've talked previously uh, on the podcast, use it for the good. Not just stop wasting your time. Not just uh, uh, allow that time to to be um, salvaged in the sense of you don't want to waste it. But now use it, appropriate it. Um, for something good, reapply it in a positive direction. And I think that that parallel between the sinner who was under the wrath of God and now has fellowship and union with Christ, I think that same beautiful picture is applied to our time, even in the most basic sense. Don't waste your time, but use it in the in, in, for the good. And yeah. so I think that parallel is so, so um, just powerful in seeing how that uh, unfolds. Yeah, and just to echo... And, and bounce off of you, it's it's a positive pursuit. It, it's it's active. It's there, there's willingness to it. There, there's a goal. Uh, there's a desire. It, it's not again a sitting back and coasting. When we think of Christ redeeming sinners, n- nothing about that was passive. Right. All of it. It, it was it was intentional. It had a purpose. Um, it, it it had value. Um, all, all of that is caught up in this making the most of our time. Um, just a 2020, this thing, it's like redeeming a gift card. Mm. Who gets an iTunes gift card and doesn't get onto that computer to redeem that bad boy? Right. Every right. time I get one, which is like never. <laughs> right. right. I get on iTunes and redeem it. But it, it's it's the same thing even with you know, something is common as a gift card. We are redeeming that card. We're redeeming that purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the parallels that we see between Christ's redemption of sinners and what Paul's doing here in Ephesians five, like, like, like you've already said, it cannot be, it cannot be overstated. Yeah. Well, there's, we've got a couple of quotes here. I, I'm, I'm going to skip one, even though it's good and go to J.C. Ryle. If you want to come back to Hendrickson's quote, feel free. But uh, I love what Ryle says in his book, Holiness. Um, He says, Life is made up of days and days of hours, and the little things of every hour are never so little as to be beneath the care of a Christian. And if you missed what he was saying there, essentially the argument is everything that we do matters. Every little thing needs – it all adds up to – hours of our day and days into weeks and weeks into uh, what comprises our life. And so um, making use of those little things that don't, you don't neglect um, nothing is beneath the care of the Christian. We care so much about paying attention to every little thing that we've been given. And um, that, that really when I I wanted to use that to springboard into the next aspect of this conversation, because I want to get to Edwards. I want to get to the, the conversation that you've prepared for us. But um, the next aspect of this is the reason why it matters. The reason why all those little moments matter is because time is a commodity that we must be faithful stewards of. We must faithfully steward our time. And so when you think about stewardship, 
Um, what comes to mind, Lance, if I can just ask you, what comes to mind when you think stewardship or when you hear the word stewardship, especially in Christian thinking, what typically comes to mind? Well, you can think about the early portions of uh, Genesis, um, Genesis chapter one, after God creates six days rest on the seventh, uh, you see at the end of Genesis one and uh, Genesis chapter two, that God has given uh, Adam and Eve uh, a sense of responsibility and stewardship over everything that he has created. And in other words, he didn't just create Adam and Eve um, to to be there in creation, uh, to um, use it as uh, recreation. He he actually gave them responsibility. He actually gave them work, um, stewardship. um, And that was before Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. Um, So this idea of uh, working, stewardship, using time uh, responsibly, well, was part of God's uh, creative order and what He orchestrated in uh, Genesis one and two. Yeah, man, that's that's and that's exactly right. That's exactly where we have to go to think about this. That God gives that command right to subdue the earth, and so there's this responsibility given to Adam and Eve, and they are to be man is to be a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to us. And I think that that is echoed really strongly um, and very familiar passage in Matthew 25. Uh, I'm not going to read it because it's very long, but there's a parable there of the, of the talents. And uh, Jesus speaks of the, of the man who gets five and the man who gets two and the man who gets one. And they multiply and utilize their their uh, what they've been entrusted with. And the, five, the man who has five... Uh, earns five more, and the one who has two earns two more, but the one who has one buries it. And, he, and Jesus comes and rebukes him and says, uh, you know, this person has uh, neglected the gifts that he's been given. He, he has not been a faithful steward of, of what he's been entrusted with. And so as we think about stewardship, um, that includes all kinds of things. It includes our resources, whatever we've been given. Uh, uh, that uh, certainly includes family. Uh, it includes finances. It includes um, gifts, spiritual gifts. Uh, that we've been given, we've talked briefly about that before. Uh, the gospel, as as Christians, we we are stewards of the mysteries of Christ. First uh, Corinthians four. Uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We have the responsibility to share that good news, not to hoard it to ourselves, but to uh, take that gospel to others and to uh, handle it responsibly. But included in all of this we must be faithful stewards of our time. And so I think easily time is the most neglected of these things. We think, oh, I've got this gift. I'm using this gift here. I've got this money. I'm giving my money to the church here. Um, All these things. But are you really utilizing your time and being not just doing enough to where you're doing what maybe is expected of you or just as much as this person over here, but are you being a faithful steward so that when God, when Christ were to come back, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have faithfully stewarded the amount of time that I've given to you. Yeah, I like what you added to the guide there. Um, taking us all the way back to Genesis pre-fall, and then also taking us to the Gospels, which is a few millennia later, and Jesus still instructing to be wise in the use of time and to be diligent in work. And I would just add to that in Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 2, that you could argue for time or a succession of moments in eternity in Revelation 22, 2, but then you get to Revelation 22, 3, and it tells us um, that we shall serve, we shall serve God. Um, now, I know there's a couple different interpretive um looks and understanding of that that text but you know i've heard it discussed that we will be uh working um in in heaven we will be serving uh and worshiping so there's an element of time being used in heaven but it's time being used perfectly because there's no curse and there's no sin yeah so i say all that to say is that using time wisely and effectively is really spanning from the creation of the world all the way into the new heaven and the new earth. Yeah, that's man, that's a good that's a good word. 
um, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, uh, faithful stewardship of time is a biblical concept. Um, and moving along in the biblical argument, wrapping this up really so that we can look at the historical discussion, um, is that after we've discussed all of these um, components maybe of this argument, really the biblical concept of discipline comes into play here. So so we must discipline ourselves. Um, thinking of, of maybe one of the most um, well-known texts on that concept, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, when Paul uses the analogy of running the race, he says, do you not know that those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self, self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Unpack that for us. I just read it. I did the easy part. You you unpack it. What do we see from that? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 9, like you said, classic text. Uh, Paul here is arguing for uh, self-denial from the negative, but he's not just leaving it there. He's not leaving it there. Hey, just, just deny yourself. Now he's saying put forth maximum effort in a positive light, um, which is what we've been discussing already on this episode of the Reformed Informants, is that we... When we're dealing with time, we, we are talking about an active pursuit of using the time wisely. So here in Paul is talking about discipline. He's saying, look, there are some things that I need to deny myself of. There are some things that I need to rid myself of so I can pursue this race that I'm running so I can receive the prize. I have to be able to put forth maximum effort in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And Paul was probably referring to one of the older uh, Olympic Games or Isthmian Games. Um, and look, we understand this from an athletic standpoint. I mean, you understand this as a baseball player. I get this from a uh, from a basketball standpoint. To be the best athlete you can possibly be, what do you have to do? Yeah, well, you have to put you, you have work. to put forth maximum effort. You're right. going to have to discipline your body. You're going to have to have the right diet. You're going to have to put yourself in the weight room. You're going to have to condition. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the same would be true spiritually speaking, and that's what Paul's advocating for here. Now, I think yeah. in context, he doesn't want to disqualify himself. He's basically saying, look, I-, I want to be above reproach. I don't want to disqualify myself in the ministry, so I'm going to put in these disciplines and these safeguards. But we're also applying this passage to discipline ourselves to redeem the time. Right. Yeah, I, I love how you said that. I mean, this illustration, Paul uses the athletic illustration here, and I think it's one that even if you don't play sports, you can understand the amount of time and energy and effort it takes to master your body, to get yourself in shape, to to, to hone in on a specific craft. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, in order to be the best um, at this particular thing, uh, in order to be this high-level athlete, I have to say no to these other things. I have to I have to say no to the foods that maybe everybody else is enjoying, but I've got to get myself in shape. So I'm going to say no to that. And I'm going to say no to staying up late because I've got to get up early to train and get that extra workout in. And watching athletes do this, they discipline themselves. But what we're seeing is that discipline then becomes a choice and it becomes a choice with a particular end or goal in mind, right? Like Paul is not, he uses this illustration not to say like, oh yeah, I beat my body just to do it. It's not like, you know, like he's not just doing that because that would be a waste of time. Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. But what Paul's saying is there's a goal, there's an aim and the way to achieve that goal, the way to accomplish that aim is to go through the process of sacrificing, of giving up these other things with this um, ultimate aim in mind. And so the same, what we're arguing for here is to use that same principle, that same concept, on a spiritual side, to say, um, if my aim is to be more like Christ, if my aim is to grow in sanctification, it's to grow in knowledge, is to uh, be less like the world and be more conformed to the image of the Son, then what must I do? Well, the first place I'm going to start is I'm going to look at how I'm utilizing and managing my time. 
because that's where the battle is won and lost. Paul says it uh, for the athlete in 1 Corinthians 9. He's speaking about ministry. He's speaking about qualifying himself. But here, for us in sanctification, the broad scale, the same principle applies. And that's what I hope that we can see as we have this conversation about the positive aspect of using that time wisely um, in order to achieve a particular goal. And right. that goal is Christ likeness, right? right. Like that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, that's that's the goal. Paul goes on in First Timothy chapter four, verses seven through ten to say, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And notice he goes on in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10, godliness is profitable for all things things like you said it's not just disciplining yourself to discipline yourself right. there's an actual pursuit there's an actual goal there's a mark uh, that you could say that we're trying to hit and and let me just make this comment here because this is easy and this is the this is the um, the way in which I my I came to faith in Christ um, in an early age but my struggle in sanctification for a long time and I still tend this way if I'm not careful but I struggle towards the legalistic side that's just the way I'm wired um, I'm very much a rule follower by nature I didn't want to disappoint my parents right so like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna walk the line like that's just what I do but I I don't want us to I don't want you to think that we're arguing here for this is the way that you please God is that you beat your body and you subdue yourself and you have to do discipline in order to be a good Christian. Like, no, this is for the pursuit of godliness. That's what Paul's saying. So like in order to become more like Christ, discipline yourself like that spiritual discipline, uh, the, the, the practice of, of spiritual disciplines of, of whatever those might include. And we'll talk about those briefly here shortly, but um, that's not in order to get you know, favor from God. It's not like if I don't do these things, God won't love me, or this is the way that I earn God's favor. Or I earn grace. Like that's not the case. It's, it's a decision that we're making out of love for Christ because he has loved us. Our aim is to be more like Christ. And so we are driven, we are compelled to desire this discipline, um, in hopes that we might become more like the son. That's our aim. And so, uh, I, I just wanted to to kind of squash any of that possible thought that, man, if we if you don't do these things, you're just not a good Christian. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is the one who loves God um, is going to desire to be more like him, is going to desire to get to know him. And so this discipline, this training in godliness, this redemption of time is in order to grow in sanctification. And it's the desire of my heart, uh, my new heart, my heart of flesh because of the truth of the gospel. Man, that's that's so good. So what you're not saying is that I need to go live in a cave yeah. and completely remove myself from uh, the world and all human contact to become more like Christ. Now, uh, I say that, you know, obviously jokingly, but there have been people in movements that have done that throughout church history. I remember reading some stories um, in Needham's work on uh, church history where he talked about you know, people during the second and third century that would move out to the wilderness, uh, move out to the mountains, move out to the caves and would live on top of gigantic pillars and yeah. stones and even would bury themselves neck deep in order to, you know, somehow become more holy, more godly, and in some degree earn God's favor with their quote unquote discipline. Yeah. That, We're, yeah. You're not advocating for that, are you? Absolutely not. Yeah, I, mean, no. we, I thought uh, it's so bizarre. It, well, that that whole monastic world. Uh, I actually thought about that earlier today when I listened to last week's episode. Uh, right, like that's contradictory to what we talked about with fellowship and uh, growing in sanctification with other believers and that idea. But 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 the the biggest mistake of that movement that happened for centuries, really in church history, even to the time of Luther's Luther was had aimed to do this exact thing. He went right. to the monastic life, right? Their aim was to abstain from sin, but there was no positive pursuit, right? Like it's not just, hey, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to 
but but I need to do something else. I need to be positively and 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 redeeming, right? Yeah. Reappropriating yep. that time in the pursuit of Christ, especially in fellowship with other believers. So uh, with that in mind, talk to us. So there's a good example of what not to do and what we're not advocating for. Uh, but with with the time we have remaining. Let's walk through. I, I, you, you've done some some legwork. You, we've hinted about this with Edwards and his resolutions. Uh, set the stage for us, and and let's have a, a, a brief conversation about Edwards and what he has said, and how we might be able to apply that uh, to our life situation today. Man, we've talked about Jonathan Edwards. I think off and on on the reformed informants. I can't remember. We we haven't done any episodes specifically related to him, but I know that we've talked about. Uh, a handful of his resolutions on on past episodes, but Jonathan Edwards, he's considered uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pastor, theologian, um, author um, that's ever walked uh, American soil. Um, and that's just not my opinion. That many people regard him in, in that particular way and in that particular manner. Um, and we're going all the way back to the 18th century Great Awakening, um, where his name is basically engraven in the soil there. He had so much influence across uh, the colonies. Um, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people basically sitting under the tutelage of Edwards, where he birthed clergymen, missionaries, professors, lawyers, physicians, authors, judges, public uh, officials, um, mayors, et cetera, et cetera. So this guy not only had massive influence in the church, but you could even say across the land mm -hmm. uh, during, during his time. Um, but in 1722, uh, roughly one year after he was converted to Christ, um, Edwards, he, he put together what are known as the 70 resolutions, uh, 70 vows, uh, 70 purpose statements uh, that he um, basically crafted as a as a means for disciplining himself to live for the glory of God and to become more like Christ. Um, so these 70 resolutions were, <laughs> this is what's so shocking. And it, it always just leaves me speechless talking about it because when he writes these 70 resolutions, he's a teenager. <laughs> he's 18, 19 years old. When he sits down, and I think he he wrote all seventy over a course of about two years or so, give or take. But the guy is a teenager. Mm. If I sat down to write seventy resolutions right now, it would look like a third grader. <laughs> you know, <laughs> actually, that's your assignment before next Monday when we record. I want seventy of your best resolutions. I, I want to post them one by one on Reform Informants Twitter. So make sure you follow so you can get that gold. Um, so yeah, so Edwards writes these resolutions and these 70 resolutions, um, are basically like a, a theological applicational roadmap to get him to God and get him to the glory of God. So uh, these, these were, these were, um, essentially statements that he aimed to live by beginning yeah. at age 18 to 19, he says, Hey, these, this is my roadmap to pursuit of godliness in this life on the way to glorification in the life to come. These, um, statements or his resolutions or were commitments or vows that he made to himself to say, this is my aim, uh, with my life in order to pursue Christ with everything that I have. Is that accurate fair to say yeah that, that that's absolutely what he did now this was a common practice back during the 18th century uh to make um lists or you could call them resolutions but i i don't think that there's any greater than edwards um for for a number of reasons so he's writing these resolutions he's an interim pastor in new york uh just down the road from wall street so i mean he is um Man, it, it's almost hard to express into words the, the theological mind that he's about to place mm -hmm. down on paper. But 
don't worry, we're not reading all 70 of them. We just pulled a few here that deal with uh, his understanding of time and his discipline on using his time well. Uh, Resolution number five, Edward said, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. I mean, that's... That, that, that is staggering. Never lose a moment of time. Now, obviously, he didn't do that perfectly because later on in his resolutions, he's like, yeah, I need to repent for not keeping my resolutions. <laughs> um, and not any of us could ever do that perfectly, but he was intent on valuing every moment of time. Um, Ian Murray in his biography on Jonathan Edwards has a chapter that talks about Edward spending on average of 13 hours in his office or in his study um, thinking and mulling and mining over the the scriptures and and uh, and the word of God um, but he made the most use of time yeah absolutely I, I love he's got several here um, related to that but I love number seven. Uh, So that was number five. Number seven, he says he's resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. What a way to think about your life. And we'll talk here just a second. I know we're running out of time, but we'll talk in just a second about, uh, you know, making the use of of our time. But think, if you had an hour to live, would you be prone to, like, turn on Netflix and maybe try to squeeze in a couple episodes of The Office? Or like, is that really how you would want your life to end? Like the legacy that you would want to leave? Um, Or if you were thinking, look, if this is my last hour, how might I redeem this? What might be the best, most possibly glorifying use of my time as an act of worship? Because that's what he was aiming to do. Uh, That his whole life is worship. Um, And so if he had an hour to live, he... He would he would live it in a, with a certain uh, intentionality and purpose, and he was saying, "May that be said of every hour of my life, as if it were my last." Right? Like for an athlete, they used to say, uh, "And and I tried to do this imperfectly, but play every game like it's your last." Right? Like you just never know when you'll get to go out there when when it will be your last game. Well, if I knew it was going to be my last game, which I actually did. I knew when my last game was. It was the last game of the season. I'm retiring. I'm done. I'm Fifth grade. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but like, if I knew, if I knew that I was not going to get to gather together for public for uh, corporate worship for however many months, I probably would have cherished it a little bit more. The Sunday that the last Sunday we got to meet together, right? Like, just live every moment like it's your last. That was what Edwards aimed to do. If I were, if, if I'm afraid to do it. In the last hour of my life, why would I do it now? Um, it's just such a, an eternal perspective that's so powerful in thinking through this. Yeah, Resolution 17, Edward says that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. You know, you talk to so many people, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have lived this way. Edward says, I want to live in a way that I would be wishing I would have. I, I want to do that mm-hmm. now. Yeah, man, that's that's such a good word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to number 52. He says, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved, he says, I'm resolved that I will live just so I can think I, <clears throat> just so as I can think I shall wish I had done supposing to live to an old age. And you've listed here, so kind of the same concept of 17, but you've listed here uh, several great men of the faith whose lives were not as extended maybe, or not as right. average, right. As we would maybe expect like Psalm 90. Yeah. Like Psalm 90, William Tyndale, very, very influential for getting the Bible into the English language, like massively important in the, uh, the English, um, what's the word I'm looking for translation, I guess of, yeah, of, yeah. of the scriptures. He only lived to be 42 years old. 42. Like you and I are not that far away from that right now. And if you uh, look at any pictures of him, he looks like he was 82. <laughs> bless his heart. Wow. Wow. I know. When you put that on there, I thought that was rough time. <laughs> uh, Luther, 62. Calvin, 54. Whitfield, 55. Spurgeon, 57. And you look at the voluminous number of sermons and, and books and resources that these men 
accumulated in their lives, you go, well, wow, how, how incredibly uh, focused they must have been. Now, these are gifts to the church. They're men of genius, but, but they're examples to follow because they made the use of their time. Um, and, and they did it for the glory of God. It wasn't to accumulate. It wasn't to say, hey, look at what I've done, but rather to point people to Christ and to give God the glory that he deserves. And that's just such a sobering reminder for me, for all of us, that the the days that we have are limited and even the most faithful and effective saints had such a short amount of time on this earth. Right. Yeah. Let me, let me add to, uh, to that discussion real quick, real quick, uh, with John Calvin. Um, I, I was just listening to a, a lecture actually this morning on John Calvin and it talked about at the end of his life that he was so sick and he was so beat down from all of the physical ailments uh, that he just constantly had to endure, especially in, in, the, in those final years, that when he preached his last sermon uh, from the book of Ezekiel, which I think is just hilarious, by the way. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but it's just funny. Um, that people had to carry him into the church and up to the pulpit on a mattress. Like, I mean, he wasn't even well enough to walk up the stairs. You've got a Google image, this guy's pulpit, by the way. Like, it's gonna it's gonna take an able-bodied person to get up there. But the value of time in his mind, he 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 was about to die, and he had to get up to the pulpit mm-hmm. to preach the word of God. And it took people carrying him up on a mattress to to get it done. Like, talk about living every moment of time nothing was keeping him from that pulpit man yeah man what a what a sobering thought what a sobering reality um to think about um man i I did not know that i did i did know that for a while he preached a sermon every day of the week and twice on sunday uh that man just absolutely um devoted his life agree or disagree with parts of his theology he was a genius he was an incredible um, you know, we we would disagree. There are certain aspects of his theology we would we would find issues with, but uh, but what an incredible gift to the church, and what a, I mean, just what an example of use of time and pursuit of godliness in this life now. Um, so so let's let's we, we we've yeah, run. I can out keep of going. I can yeah, keep going on that, man. Oh my goodness. Let's uh, let's you know the 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 nature of the conversation dictates that we have to be respectful of others' time. Uh, as we record this episode, but let's let's at least give some real practical 2020 reformed informants listening. You know, our our, our faithful few who are who are tagged in every week. How can we practically apply this um, in our lives today? Whether we're uh, a pastor, we're serving on staff, whether we're uh, just a layperson in the workforce, um, serving in the church any various capacity, how do we redeem our time during COVID season and beyond? We've got to redeem it and we've got to do what is necessary to make the most of it. We have to purchase it like we've been discussing all episode. Uh, Lloyd-Jones translates that Ephesians 5 uh, verse, buying up the opportunity in the same way that we would go to the grocery store. We make an effort to go to the grocery store to buy food and to purchase goods for our own home, we need to figure out ways in which we can purchase time, in which we can uh, block off segments of our day for gospel promotion, for uh, mm-hmm. the glory of God, to become more and more like Christ. We, we just have to do it. There's there's no other way around it. We've got to get in the nitty gritty. We've got to get. Um, we we have to get on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with that in mind, second point of application then would be cutting out worldliness uh, in your life or things that rob you of your time. And I'll, I can give an example of, of thinking through this. Uh, recently, in my first couple of weeks here in this role, um, I was being pulled so many different ways. I just didn't have enough time to get everything done. And so I started to ask myself, where can I get some time back? Um, and so I just started saying, okay, well, my workouts, uh, had been at 7am. They're going back to 6am. So 
bump that back. Well, if I'm now waking up at 5.30 to get my day started, that means I'm probably cutting out a Netflix show at night um, so I can get my sleep and be prepared. So I looked for what time, I need an hour. I'm an hour short on my day. Where can I get that hour back? And looking for the worldly side to cut that out, um, that's the way that we can best redeem our time to say, the other things are non-negotiables. I'm building my pillars around my Bible reading, my study, my prayer, my meditation, um, pursuit of Christ in all these ways. Um, so how can I how can I get time back? How can I purchase time? Well, I'm going to cut out the things I don't need, the non-essentials. Um, and that's the things of this world. They just don't have to be there. They're, they need to go. Um, now, that doesn't mean that if you turn on the TV that you're sinning. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm right. saying that that those things, whenever you're looking at your time saying, how can I pursue Christ more? Okay, well, that needs to go. Now, look, I'll be the first to say, after a full day of studying and reading and pouring over things, sometimes I just need to turn my brain off. That's fine. Like, that's good. But turn your brain off with intentionality to rest and then be ready to turn it back on and, and take take the most use of your time. Purchase it, redeem it that way. Yeah, I like what you said there. Um just because you cut something out of your day to add in more Bible reading or more meditation or more prayer doesn't mean that that thing that you cut out was bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, that, that's not what we're advocating for. We're just saying set set some of those things aside. Um, reorganize, reshift your schedule, um, You know, change around what is priority and what isn't priority. And that doesn't, again, mean that things that are lower priority are necessarily bad or that don't necessarily need to get done. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that I need to get done um, that that is perfectly fine to do in terms of maybe projects around the house or, you know, whatever it may be. Right. But there is some priority juggling that you're going to have to make to be able to redeem the time consistently, consistently. Right. Right. No, that's good. Uh, the other thing I would say, um, you know, of course we want to spend more time in the word. You spend more time in prayer, meditating, reading, um, worshiping with your mind as we've talked before about theology, right? Theology is worship. And so opening and cracking, opening a systematic theology or reading a, a biography of a, one of the saints uh, from, from days of old, like that's worship in the sense of, actively engaging our mind. So we want to make more time for that. But one of the other things that we can do is we can just salvage and redeem time like like our car rides. Um, being in the car, listen to a good podcast. Listen, I hope you're listening to all of our episodes, but if you just happen to stumble across this one, maybe you're not a regular listener, um, hopefully you're listening to something else. Redeem that time. If you're in the car, spend that time in prayer. Uh, listen to sermons. Listen to to faithful expositors of scripture, listen to, you know, YouTube has is replete with tons of resources of this nature. Listen to lectures uh, while you're cleaning the garage, when you're, uh, you know, doing the dishes. Turn on quality content that we have access to, especially during COVID season. Man, we're stuck at home. Turn the TV off and turn this stuff on. It's more helpful. It's more beneficial. And it's a way to, to salvage time when you have, like, you have to do stuff. Uh, there are things that have to be done. You got to clean. You got to do laundry. You got to you got to keep yourself. You know, got to keep the house in order. That's fine. But salvage that time and you you know multitask in that way. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, with the use of technology, all of those maybe mundane chores and to dos around the house. You know, you can always crank up the volume somewhere right. and get something going in the background. You know. Right even if it isn't full blown attachment to what you're listening to, mm-hmm. you know, there may be one or two things here that you grab from a 30 minute podcast or a 45 minute sermon. That's a, just a great nugget, a great takeaway that you have, have in your mind, uh, equipped for the gospel. Um, yeah, man, stay the course, make these things a habit, um, fight through those temptations to not redeem the time. And I, I think lastly, we would add, we need to look unto the one that redeemed time perfectly, and that would be Jesus Christ. We're all going to fail with our with our time. We won't be able to redeem it um, in uh, the way that we may intend to redeem it, but Christ redeemed it perfectly. Yeah. He, he redeemed every moment that he lived 
perfectly. And that's ultimately the goal of redeeming our time is we want to be like Christ. We want to be like Christ for the glory of Christ, um, not out of selfish ambition or motive. Okay, man, we, we need to wrap up. We're, we're out of time, as they say. So uh, Informants Initiative, um, what, what do you got? What, what's your takeaway? Yeah, my takeaway would be with everything we discussed over this episode um, would, would be to not look at it as a beat down. You know, um, to borrow from First John when he talks about God's commandments are not burdensome. I would even say on this particular issue that this isn't supposed to be a burden. We want to do this with joy. Yeah. We want to try to, to make the most use of our time with a joyful attitude and a thankful heart. Um, it, it may initially be tough because our flesh may pull us in the other direction. Um, but when it's all said and done, when we look back on how we lived when we're on our deathbed, we, we want to really say, you know, I was faithful with time and it wasn't a burden. It was a joy. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's such a good word. I think about that whenever, if I when I give financially to the church, like man, there's a part my flesh is like, no, that's my money, you know. But at the end, I'm like, I don't miss that money. That's God's money, and and He's blessed me. I'm fine. He's taking care of me. It's the same way with our time. Like I'm like, oh man, I'd like to just do this thing over here that's more fun. But at the end of the day, it's like, look, that was that was so much better for my soul, and I just feel better having used it that way, even though my flesh didn't want to. Um, that's such a good word. It's not a beat down. This is it's a joyful pursuit of Christ. Um, and I would just, my takeaway, my initiative would be uh, just to remind yourself that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so when you say yes to whatever that is, uh, if it's, if it's the, the social media scroll on your phone for 10 minutes, six times a day, that hour that you said yes to, you're having to say no to something else. And so the question then becomes, what are you saying no to when you say yes to these things? And so just being aware, asking yourself these questions. Every time I say yes to picking up the phone, every time I say yes to throwing in a movie or popping on Netflix or or whatever the waste, the time waster might be, um, we're all guilty of it. But every time I say yes to that, what am I choosing to say no to instead? Uh, because that that time in, it is not, it doesn't change. It is steady. Um, and so um, we only have a finite amount of it and just re- reminding ourselves of that reality. So, man, this is, this is a good conversation. I, I hope that um, others have enjoyed it as much as I have. So any, anything else you need, you, we need to say to wrap this up? Nah, man, I think we took a lot of time. We, <laughs> we did. Yeah, or we I think we do. went up over an hour. This may be our longest episode. Yeah, if you're if you're new to the podcast, this is not normally how long they go. But how ironic, though. Yeah, of course, it's just the the way that these things ha- uh, these these things happen. But so if you are new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe. We promise that these are not uh, all over an hour long. We try to keep them under an hour. But be sure to subscribe. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find links to all of our social media platforms and all of our previous episodes at our website at www.themajestiesmen.com slash reformed informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. 